On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have Ashtanga yoga teacher, Abby Lynn. She's going to talk to us about her journey through depression and anxiety. We're going to talk about how to breathe in uncomfortable situations. Uh, a lot of us don't realize that uh, when we get in arguments or when we feel stressed or anxious, uh, the first thing we do is stop breathing. So we're going to talk about how do we continue to breathe when we feel uncomfortable. Somebody stands too close to you. You're, <gasps> let that let that air out. You watching uh, <laughs> you watching Narcos. Nobody breathes. This be re- I don't know how to say. I don't know how to say it plurally. Uh, when they're watching Narcos, it's just an hour of holding your breath. So we're going to find out how to breathe while we watch Narcos and when somebody's standing too close to us or we have that event coming up and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We also get into how to become the person you are on the mat in real life. And I know uh, a lot of us don't do yoga. And so for you, that would mean that that there are these areas of our lives where we really shine. We really really, um, are able to display our, our best selves. And for some reason, it's only in that arena. And we talk about how do we uh, show up like that consistently in every area of our lives, physically, emotionally, mentally, in our relationships, at work, with our friends, uh, even even when no one's around. We talk about that. And then we talk about, and this is really fascinating, we get into the, the that you should do three things that you can't do at the end of your practice. I'm going to say that again. Why you should do three things you can't do at the end of your practice uh, we get into that to get specific. And uh, and also, of course, go to Thrive with Leo. I mean, listen, I started this podcast because I understand that we've all been through traumas, tragedies, and transitions. And it sucks to go through those alone. So join me, thrivewithleo.com, and let's walk hand in hand to your upward trajectory. With that said... Let's get into the episode. I was on your Instagram uh, watching you do some of the yoga poses, and I was like, oh, because I did, I, did, I did like six sun salutations this morning. Yeah. And I was feeling very good about myself. And then I saw you put like your leg between behind your other leg behind your head and then like stand on one finger. And I was like, oh, okay, I got work to do. There, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's room for growth here, Leo Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you did pretty good. You did, you did yoga. I'm just... You know, it takes a little bit of time and some thanks, mom and dad, for the genetics, because that's probably where I get it. (laughs) Oh, is is your dad flexible also? No, he's just he's well, I guess I guess so. He's um, he's very athletic. So I've always been pretty athletic, thanks to my dad and my mom, like was a dancer growing up. And so she's pretty flexible. So I don't really know. But somehow that combination That is, I mean, when you talk about the one-two combo, I mean, that's like peanut butter and jelly to be, to have strength and flexibility. That that's like that's the one percent. That's the one percent. I wish I was a part of. (laughs) I got the strength, none of the flexibility. You know, that's most people. Most people come to yoga or in anything, and they're usually either very flexible and bendy and don't have strength or they're, um, you know, really strong, but also very stiff. So I got like luck of the draw, I guess, you know, I didn't even 
know that until I was like 30, though. <laughs> oh, you thought everybody was just walking around being able to put their leg behind their head <laughs> no. and, and doing a headstand? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> No, I'm saying I didn't know that I had that combination, really. I mean, I sort of knew, but it wasn't until I really got into yoga that I was like, oh, weird. So did like, you, were you not in a sports or anything like before that? You weren't like a, a cheerleader or, or you didn't run track or anything? So, yeah, I mean, I, I was a swimmer and I was a cheerleader in high school, although like that's something I don't always talk about very much. But um and I did like the gymnastics part, but I never took gymnastics growing up. I just sort of enjoyed doing it. And I, did, I didn't really think of my abilities as anything different than anybody else because like everybody was on the cheerleading squad. I was like, you know, decently good at some of the stuff, but I didn't stand out, you know. Um, and then I was a climber for about nine, ten years. So I was able to like develop. I've always been athletic, but... Um, yoga just somehow put it all together for me. I just watched, uh, is it free solo that, that climbing documentary Uh, on Netflix? Was it Netflix or Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, God, that one I've, you know, I've like met him sort of, um, cause the climbing community is pretty small. So we sort of run around in the same circles ish. If you're around long enough, you kind of meet everybody. Um, and I mean, man, that is impressive. And also that documentary made me maybe more nervous than anybody else watching it, which is weird, but it's cause like, I know the risk there and it's like, I could just like my palms were like sweating and I was like, Oh man, like I know the feeling of being that high, of like, not that high up, but pretty high up and just like freaking out. Yeah. You said you did it for nine years. Why, why did you stop or did you just take a break or was there an injury? Well, um, I, I mean, I did it for a while. I really enjoyed it. It was really, that was my thing. You know, I tend to follow my passions and stuff. And so I went, I moved to Tennessee, I grew up in Alabama, but I moved to Tennessee to really be in the heart of rock climbing in the South. And I moved there with my ex. And then when we separated and got divorced, you know, he was a climber as well. And I continued to do it for a while, but Um, we had a little bit of a, um, well, so there was like this period of time where after we had been divorced for a little bit, we didn't, didn't really talk very much. And he had a like flare up or episode of like manic depressive, like in mania and which we were, he was undiagnosed at that point. And it, it was kind of like a scary time for me. He kind of he was a lawyer. He went in front of this courthouse and like threatened people. He came into my work. He was just kind of a little bit out of his mind. And so after all of that happened, um, sort of a long story, I sort of got a little bit on the outs of the climbing community because I didn't really feel like people within it were supportive of me because I just went through this very difficult time and people more or less sided with him. And so by that point, I was sort of like, you know, I know I can't do this forever. It's pretty hard. It was pretty hard on my body, first of all. Um, and that's when I really started getting into yoga. So that transition, I really left. Short answer, I left because of yoga. Longer answer is more complicated. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like the death rate with with, uh, with solo climbing is, is, is up there. It's almost like skydiving. Like, if, yeah. if you do it, you definitely know somebody 
who has fallen um, uh, to their death. So uh, I'm yeah. glad you made it out there alive. It was, it was probably a, a situation that kind of saved your life in some unknown way. Totally. It totally did. I say that I kind of say that a lot. I think in like long term for sure in probably multiple ways. But, you know, it's also, uh, you know, part of that story is, uh, you know, community. And it's like, you know, here's this thing that you love climbing. And mm-hmm. then because uh, the, 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 the community of people uh, who are involved, you know, it, it didn't it didn't make it very welcoming for you. Uh, anymore. And so, you know, that, that was an impetus also. And I think we, we don't give um, enough thought to, uh, community when we think about the things we want to do. Like we always think about the job title, but we never, mm-hmm. but we don't think about what is the environment that I want to work in? What's the environment that I want to live in? What's the environment I want to raise my children in? Like the community of people and feeling connected, like that's so, that's so important. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was especially, you know, in the beginning of something, everything is so exciting, you know, so you just like go and pursue whatever you love, you know, and then over time, especially it's really the community part that really keeps everything together. And, you know, for the most part, for the most of the time that I did climb and I was immersed, enmeshed, whatever, what's the right word? I don't know. Um, when I was like really in that community, I felt that support. And, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes it's like, you don't really see the holes until something really difficult happens. And then you see whether or not people are going to like rise up and support you or, um, are unable to. And, you know, I don't fault anybody for how they handled it. Cause I think it's more of just like, nobody knows what to do in difficult situations, but I think it did, uh, really opened my eyes to see like how important it is to have people that really understand what's going on to some degree or understand the difficulty of it and have that like empathy and everything. And I really found that within the class, within the yoga community more, more so, I mean, it's not perfect either, but having just people around that care about you and they're going to try to do whatever they can to care for you, not only, um, just like being there to talk to, but just like you know, emotionally, spiritual, sometimes even if you need financially. I mean, there's like all things that community can really help support the whole person because, you know, when you're struggling and you feel alone, that's when it's things get very dark and scary. Absolutely. And, you know, I've I've taken yoga classes at different places and the vibe after a yoga, even before going into yoga, like there's just this energy of connection and people talking and communing and uh, and then you know you get in the class and and at the end like it was such a um, a challenging but also cathartic experience that you you there's this camaraderie that the this energy that we all walk out with that just it just stays with you for the rest of the day it's it's really incredible. Absolutely. I mean, the yoga practice does that because it's also, especially if you're in a group class with people, you get that shared energy and shared experience. And we kind of talk about that a lot, especially like in the yoga room, you kind of feel like the energy that happens. And, you know, you can walking out of a, of a yoga class, it's like, you know, not only is it the refreshing for your mind and your body, it's also like, you know, you feel more connected to the people around you. Absolutely. And speaking of of which and and feeling connected, you also feel more connected to yourself. I I would imagine there was a 
uh, a spiritual journey for you also, uh, you know, teach because you teach uh, Ashtanga yoga right now, right? Yes. Yes, I do. And and a lot of people go into to yoga, uh, you know, seeking questions, uh, looking for some some continuity, some type of, of connection. Uh, was that a similar experience for you also? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is what I found, especially in the particular community that I'm a part of. Uh, I find that a lot. I mean, a lot of times people, they're looking just to get reconnected to who they are. And that's really how I found yoga and what I was looking for when I stepped into that yoga class. I mean, I had been taking yoga and I had gotten my teacher's teacher training and had kind of you know, bounced around, um, many years before that, but something about the Ashtanga practice in particular creates this more shared experience because of the way it's structured. It's very simple, but it's also kind of complicated. It's, um, you, it's taught pose by pose and everyone does the same sequence and you do the same sequence every day. And it goes through this increasing difficulty. So where I'm at, it's, there's about six series that we know of and there's primary series, which is mostly what's taught. And then it goes into like, you sort of graduate to different series based on your ability. Um, and being able to do the same thing every day, you don't need someone in front of you telling you what to do all the time. The teacher is really just there to guide the person and is there sort of in the background, sort of helps the experience, prevents them from getting hurt. And then also teaches them new poses as people progress. So it is really, um, meditative and we'll, I, you know, I like to talk about it being this meditative movement because once you learn the sequence and you're in it every day, it's like, you know what to expect. You can, once you have it all down, you get to really zone in and really feel like how your body's changing, how it's feeling each day. It's like this physical check-in, you know, it's like I can register stress or if I'm feeling good based on like how my practice goes every day. And that experience, I think, is what a lot of people are looking for because, um, I don't know, there's something about being able to have something that's constant and that's always there and that you can just sort of like let everything go and then look, have this time of an hour, hour and a half to really examine what's going on on your insides. It serves as this mirror. And so there's certain people in particular to Ashtanga that get attracted to it. And it's usually people that are really seeking something a little bit more and are willing to like really dig in to themselves and face themselves and stuff. Um, which is kind of where I was. I just wanted to be, you know, I would had been really lost for a little bit and was just trying to get back in touch with myself. Cause I felt a little bit like outside of myself for a long time. Oh, now, when you say outside yourself and, 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 and you felt lost, I, we've all experienced that from time to time. But mm-hmm. what did that look like for you uh, in terms of were you like, uh, was it drugs? Was it sleeping a lot? Like when you say lost, like how, how would you describe that experience? You know, it was really it was a lot internal. Um, I, I mentioned before I was married to someone who really struggled with, uh, drugs and alcohol. And we were married for about three years. And within that, it was very difficult because it was basically the height of his addiction. And so I was along for the ride and I had never really been a part of anything like that before. And it definitely changed me. And I turned into being like, I was very concerned with taking care of him and 
making sure he was okay. And I put my needs aside. So I was like so concerned with trying to, you know, keep everything intact and keep him okay and make sure that he, he was all right and that we're okay. And I was concerned like for my safety, but more just trying to like survive, you know? And so when that ended, I really didn't know, you know, it was basically this whole future that I had, you know, been looking forward to just abruptly ended. It just like cut off that timeline. And I was sort of just, you know, had to move out, had to find, I was living in people, different people's basements, trying to find a place to live. I had just gotten a full-time job because he basically supported us. And I was just trying to figure out how to do everything. And eventually, you know, through a roundabout way was just like, I can't, I didn't really know who, who I was anymore. It was like, I sort of lost my identity within the trauma that I experienced throughout those three years. And I had a hard time figuring out how to, how to get it back. So I felt just like I wasn't, you know, and I was, had begun to distance myself from the, the climbing community because I wasn't really getting what I needed. And so, but I didn't really know what I needed. I was just in this empty space of like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, I don't know where this is going to go. Like my family didn't live there. I was basically in that town by myself, even though I had some good friends there. And I was just like, well, I guess I, I need to figure out something. I mean, I was suffering from like this, it'd go from this deep, dark depression to this, really high anxiety and, um, having a hard time working. And I was, I was in charge. I was in charge of a, uh, a Lululemon store and I had been hired as a store manager. So I was basically introducing a whole brand to, a to a, this town that I was more or less new to and then going through all this at the same time. So I was exhausted and I didn't trust myself and I leaned on the people around me a lot. Um, because I just didn't know which way was up a lot of the time. Um, and so I was just looking for something to remind me of like who I was before all of that happened. And, um, it's, I mean, it's taken a a lot longer than what I wanted. You know, we all want a quick fix to feel better immediately, but you know, it's been a lot of like soul searching over, these past, I don't know, four years, four or five years to really get to a place where I feel a little bit more settled. Um, and I really think that like Ashtanga helped me kind of get back in touch with that. I mean, I I felt like I was like really out of body and just floating, you know? Uh, It's such an incredible feeling because I I just started incorporating tenets of Ashtanga into my, my practice in terms of, because I think you hold each pose for like five exhales. Is that the is that the yeah, foundation? Yeah. Yep. And I realized like that five exhales, like you talk about being present. Nothing makes mm-hmm. you more present than holding a plank, uh, a tree pose, any any type of pose for five seconds, and you just lock in. And, and at yep. the end, uh, your body just like I was. I felt myself like just you could just feel yourself moving through the world differently. And it's like everything that was a, 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 a trouble before was still there and, and it was thereafter. But you just you, you just approached it with a with a more open and, and, uh, and enthusiastic uh, vibrancy. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that you begin to notice. So by holding it five breaths, I mean, you have to become so present with your breath and outside of, you know, some of the more modern 
um, things that we think about is like going to a yoga class where things might move really quickly or they might differ class to class. It's like always the same. And so you find yourself in this same pose and you can't really run away from it. You know, you, especially if you're practicing with a teacher who's going to hold you accountable, it's, it's like you hold it for five breaths, you see what's going on. Even if it's uncomfortable, you have to sit with it. And that, that practice of really sitting with that discomfort and that feeling of like, this feels terrible, but I'm going to stay with it. it. You end up finding that happening in your life too. And you're more able to, the more you practice, the more you're able to really approach life with that calm mind. Like then you start seeing like a lot of this is in my head and I can, if I can get clear out the cobwebs and sort of clear a path for me to think clearly, then everything's going to be okay. But when you don't have that space to like release or to really observe or to like see what's going on or know how you deal with difficult situations, um, then it, it becomes a lot more complicated. There's, um, something I can't remember who said it. one of my teachers said something like, you know, yoga really is learning how to breathe in uncomfortable positions. And it's like, you find yourself whether on the mat or in life in the situation that feels terrible and you just can, you find the mental strength to like stay and then it becomes easier because then you learn to breathe again. It's like once you can get back in touch with your breath, you can kind of chill out. Um, and that happens because you know, the, the yoga practice as it gets more difficult, like it does push your boundaries. You get into these really uncomfortable situations. So Ashtanga is very unique in that way. Whereas you think of yoga as like being very relaxing while you're doing it. And most of the time my practice is the opposite of relaxing <laughs> while I'm in it. It's, it's very difficult. Like I work, I work pretty hard in my practice and every it basically it ends everyone's practice ends at the pose that they that they can't do and then you have to do it at least three times so you have to keep doing it and eventually you'll you'll get it so you work towards these goals that feel that are very tangible and right outside of your comfort zone and so then you have to examine like what's going on that's holding me back like is it my mental is it my mind is it my body a combination is it my emotional state? And sometimes it is like all of those things. And most of the time when I, I'm usually able to physically do something before I can mentally do it. So that's always like the trick is to connect those. Like I can do this. My body shows me that I can do this. I have all the requirements. I just have to figure it out and not run away from this really uh, terrible <laughs> feeling pose. I love that you said it's about learning how to breathe in uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. because th- that's something that you can take with you. You know, that's, you know, part of yoga that they, what they discuss is, uh, what, you know, being able to take it off the mat and, mm-hmm. and into your life so that you're, you're always, uh, essentially practicing yoga has there, how has that showed up for you off the mat in terms of uh, learning how to breathe in uncomfortable situations? Um, ooh, man, a lot of ways. I, I think a lot of the things that I have been through, it's really helped me be able to identify exactly what's going on, especially with help from, you know, a therapist, which I employ a lot, um, is, 
you know, being able to like separate the, the stories of what you tell your, like the stories that you tell yourself in your head of what you can and can't do. And you begin to see that, you know, if you put enough effort and thought and purpose behind something, then you really can make anything happen. I mean, outside of, you know, genetic limitations or injury and stuff that's already there, which can inhibit people. Most people can do a lot of these poses. It's just figuring it out and getting past that, you know, um, your nervous system trying to like trigger that fight or flight. So what I find in my life is that I'm able to really sit with something that happens outside of my practice with a little bit more ease and be able to, you know, handle any of these difficult things that, that come my way. And obviously like not, I don't do it perfectly because, you know, something, something happens, I get triggered, I get upset too, but then I have the tools to be able to reassess it back in like in my life and then back on the mat, I can then like re-examine it. And then sometimes I can see that like, here's this, what I thought and got really worked up about was really just this like old trauma or this old, old stuff that's like coming back up and I need to figure out what to do with it because this keeps happening and it's inhibiting my practice and, and my life. So you begin to equate, like I will, I'll have all these different times when I'm working on a pose and it, they all teach me different lessons about myself, like how to relax, like how do I like chill out when I'm really deeply disturbed by something or really emotional? How do I keep going when I am feeling really emotional and I want to just like shut down and, you know, not do anything? And every time I'm struggling with that, it shows up on my mat and I can see this like in this little microcosm of a little you know, two hour practice, I can see like, okay, I'm actually capable of doing these things that I don't think I can. And even though I like, I'm depressed and I don't want to do anything, I actually can, you know, and so I can push past it with a little bit more ease. Um, you know, whether it's cause within the, within the series, it's like, there's some poses, like there's some really deep backbends and backbends trigger a lot of things that you know, there's a lot of fear and vulnerability and things and people and me and my friends, I mean, we're always, you know, my boyfriend too, like we talk about how, okay, well I saw this come up on my mat and now I feel like I know what to do in this situation that I've been dealing with, you know, and now I'm seeing like that this happens here and it also happens in my life too. Like someone, my teacher will say something that gets, you know, that sort of bothers me and it's never about my teacher is always about my reaction, you know? And so you can begin to learn to separate the reactions from people, you know, and learn to like focus on yourself. I mean, there's so many things <laughs> I could just keep going. Um, but you know, I, I think that it has allowed me to, um, even within this like difficult time right now, be able to, um, like relax and have that mental strength to be able to get through this crisis is going on everywhere, you know? Absolutely. And, and I, for the listeners out there, I want you to know that the reason why I, I'm emphasizing this learning how to breathe in, in difficult situations is because of uh, what we're going through, not just in the world, not just in the country, not just in our neighborhoods, but what we're going through internally. And a lot of times we get these flare ups, as as Abby had described earlier, 
where uh, these traumas come up, these these uh, these former these tragedies happen, and we feel like we can't breathe. We start shallow breathing, hyperventilate, pass out, the cortisol levels rise, and it's important for us to learn how to breathe in difficult situations and through challenging emotions. And so, Abby, you know, one of the things I heard uh, in one of my yoga classes is that uh, the exhale is harder than the inhale. Why is that? Or have you heard that? Oh, oh yeah. And I experienced that, too. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the like with some of like that nervous system, vagus nerve. There's like a lot of like biological things that happen. But when we are, because we are in our lives, just kind of like go, go, go. Like it's easier for us to have that like energy of like inhaling. And it's like this more energetic, like I can do stuff. You get filled up. It's usually like when I'm moving forward on a mat for like a arm balance or something, it's like inhale, like it just shoots you up. Like it's a, we're way more able to do that. But to like, you know, and we're also like trying to like preserve oxygen, you know, so it's like we can like inhale and inhale. But when we exhale, it helps us to really like relax our body and our nervous system and kind of bring back to this like normal state. And, you know, we have especially if you have a lot of anxiety, which I do, I'm always working at it. That's why I'm always trying to practice because I can see that start to happen and it affects my what I do on the mat. And so then I'm like, okay, well, if this is locking up my body by not being able to breathe deeply and I'm breathing shallowly and I can't fully relax, then that's also probably what's happening when this stress pops up. It's like, I do that same thing. And so then I can stop and just like cool off. And the breath is so power is such a powerful tool to help us really just calm down and get back to like a normal operating system. I love that. I love that. You know, one of the things that I practice uh, when I feel, uh, as Abraham Lincoln calls it, unmanned, um, I'll place my left hand on my heart and my right hand on my stomach, and I'll just take five exhales from right there. And immediately, it's so soothing. It's the, it's It's incredible how taking that time to, to, to just touch ourselves uh, in, a, in a soothing, comforting way, how quickly uh, the shoulders drop and our, and our breathing uh, deepens, you know, that, that physical touch that we, some of us want from other people, we can give to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, I think part of the beauty of the yoga practice is you're constantly working with your body and you're working with being, you know, putting your leg behind your head pretty like wrapped up and stuff. And there's a lot of like forward folds, especially in the first series that are really grounding and very beautiful because it's really just like giving yourself a hug. You know, you're just like folding forward and just feeling your legs on your belly or just getting that back into touch with yourself, literally, like quite literally. And it does amazing things. Like I, I treat, I teach now in a, um, for, for a nonprofit that brings alcohol and 
drug people in recovery brings them yoga. So I teach in these different recovery centers and I can really see that I can actually see the difference from the beginning of the class to the end of the class, how people, I mostly teach the men right now and how, you know, there's this sort of like aggression or wanting to like tease or, you know, trying to, you know, act kind of tough. And by the end of it, it's everyone's very peaceful. They're, they're just, they have, I like lay them down and it's like their eyes sort of, it's like the energy in the room just drops and it's like, you can see in their eyes are a little bit more clear. And so it's like, I know that this stuff really works because I see it within like an hour period sometimes when from people that have never done yoga that don't really know what to expect when they walk in the room it it happens um it's really it's really remarkable and you know because I'll be like I see this in my life but I'm not sure you know sometimes you're like I don't know if this is also happening for other people and time and time again a lot of my my friends in the practice we all have things that we've struggled with on and off the mat and some really difficult things and the practice sort of brings us back to ourselves and sort of reminds us that like you know everything that we have to get through anything that's very difficult and that seems like a situation that's never going to end it's you're still okay like you're still there you're still able to breathe you still have life and you can just can figure out how to move forward instead of getting stuck yeah, you know that there's a book called Body Keeps the Score. And first of yeah. all, I want I want to thank you for, you know, taking the time to teach kids because uh, th- there is so much research showing that, you know, the practice of yoga and meditation uh, is really helping kids uh, throughout the world, uh, uh, you know, be focused and and be calm and, and, and connect with themselves and connect with others, you know, instead of uh, this medication uh, we're talking about meditation uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and connecting. So I, I really, I thank you for that. Um, but yeah, that book, Body Keeps the Score, they, they huge advocates uh, of, uh, of yoga in terms of healing and working through trauma. I, I'm assuming you've read the book. I, I've read parts of it. I haven't gotten through the whole thing, but it's definitely a book that is in conversation a lot in, in my community because most of the people, um, my, my teacher is Taylor Hunt and he has a non a nonprofit that that's who I work for. And a lot of the people that are at, in his community and at his shala have had, um, you know, similar backgrounds where they're either in recovery or they're working through that and it's various things. And somehow we like have all sort of like found each other. And so that that's in it a lot because we definitely see firsthand that how much our, the pain in our life gets stored in our body and then we have to work it out. And sometimes, I mean, it happens a lot in, in the, in the studio that people will be working through our individual practice and someone will get emotional. And sometimes you don't even know where it comes from. It's just like this release that happens. And, you know, next thing you know, you're just like sobbing on your mat. I've been there a million times. And it's always like, sometimes I'll get a flash of something and it's like, and, and sometimes I don't, but it's just something releases and you feel a little bit lighter. And it's crazy how that, how that happens. And it's this thing that continues to happen to a lot of people. I mean, depending, and now it's like, I know when I am getting stuck into like my trauma place, it's, it always shows up in my hips always. Like 
they, it's like they kind of lock up and I can see it in this, like, really, it's, it's crazy. Like, I'll be like, Ooh, I'm, do I, am I hurt? No, I'm just triggered by something and I have to work it out. It's, it's so powerful because I mean, that's why I think when people get upset and they don't even realize that they're in some way practicing this on a subconscious level, but you know, people get upset and they go, I got to go for a walk. I got to go for a run or, you know, I got to go hit the bag or they punch a wall. It's like, it's a, our, our body naturally guides you in a direction that you want to go. But if you haven't been given the tools of, of healthier ways of, of using your physicality, of using your body and your strength and your flexibility other than punching a wall or, or punching someone else or, or, or grabbing a drink, then uh, you, uh, you, know, you, you're, you won't grow and you won't develop the, the appropriate uh, coping skills to, to develop. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, what, what I have seen, what I've seen too happen, I mean, really, like recently, um, because something about all of this, like the pandemic and um, a lot of it felt very similar to a couple of times where I had felt, you know, back in that trauma, it like triggered up some of that stuff. And there's people I've talked to, the same thing kind of happened where all of a sudden it's like, this crisis happens. And then all of a sudden these like emotions or these like crazy thoughts, like pour forwards. And you're like, I thought I was done with that. And I mean, at the first few weeks, I mean, really up until recently, I was really struggling with like what I don't, I feel a bit lost again. I don't know where I'm going, you know, and I had, and I sort of started to step away from my practice a little bit. Um, I kind of got hurt and I just was like, I felt in that kind of crazy space again. And then I was like, no, like I know how to deal with this. And luckily I have a a boyfriend who also practices. And so he, you know, keeps me accountable and we keep each other accountable to it. And that has really helped me kind of plug back in because when I, you know, when the inspiration or something happens that you want to like go away, it's like you find yourself, your mind kind of like call it the like monkey mind, you know, and it, it's kind of like, okay, well, we got, something is wrong and I need to, like, it's got too much energy on the inside. Like, my thoughts would be racing. I wasn't sleeping very well. And, you know, when I can get back into my practice those days, it's like I immediately was like, whoa, okay. That was that was what was happening. And I'm so thankful that I have this tool here to practice at home because I know a lot of people at home don't, you know, if they were working out before, it's difficult to try to figure out what to do, where to go. And that was always my struggle with the, with the yoga that I even taught before and still teach some, sometimes, um, like beforehand, I would, when I would have to practice at home, I didn't really know what to do. And I'm so thankful to have the, this practice because it's constant. I can trust it. I know exactly what to do. And it just brings me back to myself because of just the, the structured nature of it. And it, it also begins to expose the unhealthy habits that come up, you know, like not getting enough sleep, not drinking enough water, not eating enough, maybe drinking alcohol night before, like things like that start popping up. And it's like it exacerbates that time. And because the practice for me becomes so important, it's like, OK, I need it. I I have to fix this because this is the thing that actually makes me feel better. And those other things don't make me feel better, but they might make me feel better for a second. And I do think it's like this innate thing to really just be able to practice 
like literally practice the mindfulness, you know, and there's different ways for each person. So any type of yoga or meditation or mindfulness practice is super beneficial. And sometimes it just takes trying a, a bunch of different methods to figure out which one's the right one for you. And for me, it was like getting getting into a more physical practice and some people can just take on meditation or the pranayama and breathing and can also just just do that and I envy those people because I mean I need a lot I have to exasperate a lot of energy to be able to get to that place yeah uh, is there a window open I'm picking up a lot of background noise now there's like stuff moving around no, it might be my neighbor is vacuuming. That sounds like. Oh. This. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What is that?" Oh, that is. So, just for the listeners, yeah, there's so vacuuming. I mean, she said it. You heard it. Uh, that's what's happening. We're not <laughs> editing it. It's staying in. This is this is this is what COVID, uh, you know, podcast episodes sound like. Now you're gonna get the children. I, like I have people. Like I, I try to record these videos. There's like a dog walking through, a kid crying in the background. <laughs> There's all types of shenanigans uh, taking place. So, uh. yeah, I, I've, been, I've taught some some online video yoga and it's like the things that happen. I mean, it's always it's great. I love it. You're just like okay, people in their houses and you can't control that much, when there's other, especially when there's other people living around. Right. And, and you know, and, and that's part of the practice is reminding yourself that, you know, whether there's a vacuum cleaner going on or whatever extra shenanigans. Like to have that foundation, that base of of your breath, of your practice, of your movement, to come back to and knowing that you can come back to that, and and that's the you know the people who seem grounded uh, and and present. Those are the people. It's not because uh, it's because they know they have a, a thing to come back to, a practice to come back to, a, a thing to work on. Uh, one of the tenets of Ashtanga that that I love that you mentioned it and I wasn't aware of this is that you you mentioned that at the end of your practice uh, you practice the thing that's hardest for you to do three times that yeah. that seems like such an important lesson on and off the mat oh yeah oh yeah yeah I mean something about doing this this because it's like we all want that the like next thing. Because especially if you're like, you know, online, you see the Instagram stuff, you see people in the, in a strong up, these pose, these like beautiful poses. And you're like, I want to be able to do that. And so finally you get to the point where you get the pose and you're like, this is so hard. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to even begin to do this. Like when I first, um, got the, those leg behind the head poses, I was like, I don't even know how, where to begin with this. I've ne- I'm never going to be able to do this. And Every time it's like I would not want to. I would not want to do it. I would want to give up. I would fight with my teacher. I would fight with myself on it. And you know, you the more you practice it, then you begin to be better. And you you, I mean, you fail at it every day until you finally get it. And then even then, you sort of fail at it later because something else happens. You get injured. You know, get other things that then impact your ability to do this one thing. Either you become stronger, and then that limits some flexibility. So all this stuff comes into play, but being being able to like practice it three times, it's like sometimes the first time may not, you are like, I mean, every time the first time I do something, I'm a little bit lost. And then the more times you practice it, the better you get. And then that's where you learn all those lessons and you know how to carry it forward. And so, I mean, in, 
in life it happens too. It's like, you know, going after something that you really want, like it's not going to happen the first time. I mean, unless you're super lucky or you're really set up for it. Most of us, we have to really work to get, whether it's like the dream job or the, um, you know, whether it's financial or, um, any, like really anything, you know, and being able to just say, okay, well, I, how much do you really want it? And that's something that my teacher will always say or challenge me with or other students and say like, well, do you really want to do this? Like you don't have to, like no one's saying that you have to do this pose that you have to do this thing, but if you want it, then you need to continue to then, you know, do it, figure it out, figure out how to do it. And, you know, that's like a thing that I really like about the teaching of it and how I also try to teach as well is letting people really figure out and fail and then refigure it out because those lessons that you learn by doing something over and over again, even though you are like feeling so uncomfortable and it's so hard and you don't think you can do it and you're crying and yesterday was a terrible practice and today is a terrible practice, you know, all those things that happen, you just are like, when you can figure it out yourself without someone else giving it to you, it becomes that much more powerful and it become you become a little bit more empowered. Like, you know, I can do all of these poses and why am I struggling with this thing? You know, and it goes back and forth. I always say that like my, I like really, I want to be the person that I am on my mat, like, because that person is really who I am. And then I come off my mat and I get, bombarded with life or stress or triggers or things like that. And sometimes it stops me. But then when I can be reminded of like the things I can accomplish just by putting my mind to something and staying focused and driven and determined and all these things, then it's like, okay, like I'm trying to be that person, you know, and I see it happen over and over again with myself, with my boyfriend, with my friends that practice. We are always they're the people that I have grown with and I have like seen their growth and we celebrate like, wow, look at how we were a couple years ago to compared to how we are now. Like, can you believe it? You know, what I love about that is that, you know, you, you talk about how you sometimes you have a terrible practice because I think a lot of times we think that we should just get better every day. Like if I did something five days in a row on a sixth day, it should be better. And And we don't understand that there, there are going to be injuries. There are going to be setbacks. There are going to be tragedies and traumas and mistakes and, and, and missteps. And, you know, it's, it's staying connected to our breath that helps us to stay grounded and, and keep pushing through and moving uh, past that. So I love that you, you talk about having a, a, terrible, a terrible practice because sometimes okay. in, in the growth, it looks ugly. Oh, yeah. I mean, the growth, the, the growth period and any of that in healing, all of that, like none of it is linear. And you, you hear that, but it's so true. I mean, I have been, I've seen myself sort of like go upwards and then downwards and then up. And I mean, really probably about, you know, half the week, my practice is not that great, but then, then you have that one wonderful practice and it makes up for it. But it's like that process, that process of up and down and, you know, really clearing out those cobwebs and clearing out everything that you, you know, believed in yourself and then reaching that deep, that different level. I mean, there's poses that I always struggle with, like no matter what, and I still have to do it every single day and I get a little bit better. And then the ones that I am already good at, I get 
even better at doing that. And so there's this like balance of, um, the ability to do something and feeling empowered by that. And then the part that's like, okay, but remember, like kind of brings your ego down. It sort of helps to bring some humility back in. It's you're like, well, this one was good. This one's terrible. Sometimes I have a bad practice, but there's always tomorrow. And what can I learn from it? You talk about going to therapy. Uh, what what was what got you into therapy, and then what are you currently working on now? Um, well, a couple of things. I mean, my the the marriage, my ex husband, and everything that that ending was like I said, it was a lot, and so that's really where I started to go to therapy um, because I was having a lot of anxiety, and um, I also had was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, which I was pretty, um, it kind of explained a lot of, you know, it's like anxiety plus that can kind of make for a pretty, like your, the inside of my head was not a nice place. And so because I was cycling through everything, it was like, I needed someone to talk to that was unbiased that could look on, look from the outside and be able to help me through and sort of sort through the things going on inside my head. And, um, I, so I started, I've seen different therapists. It's sometimes hard for me to find a good one because, um, you know, you have to be able to click with the, with the therapist and everything. Um, so I've been on, on and off and I recently got back into it, um, with, you know, when all of the, the pandemic started, because that's, that's the things I thought were okay, started to kick up again. And I, you know, have been I, like currently right now, like with the, you know, I'm not working. I got back, I was in India for two months. A tree fell in my car. I don't have a car. Like I've kind of been in a really like difficult situation. And so, um, I was like, I, I'm stuck and I'm feeling pretty like, I don't really know what to do with this, with this time or what to do with myself, but I am seeing that I have a lot more to heal from, you know, five years ago and seeing that come up again. And I, so I started doing like the tele telehealth and well, it was through one of the, one of the apps, better health, I think. So, um, and I got matched with a great therapist and right now we're really working on, for me, like the, um, where that trauma is coming back up and where some of my codependent tendencies that I picked up from my last relationship are showing up in my life now and I'm making all these connections. So we're working through some like behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques and things to really help me separate the, like the story that I want to create in my head about how this thing that's happening or this person is really not, um, is trying to like do me wrong or something. And then being able to be like, all right, well, what can I actually control? What's outside of my control? What, where am I being a victim and where can I re-empower myself? And the combination of yoga and therapy, I think is a really magical combination because what happens in yoga is it sort of kicks up the things. And so you start seeing, okay, like this, something is wrong. Like, you see the mirror held up and you're like, I'm not reacting correctly to these situations and I can see that, but I don't know what to do with it. And so what therapy does is like, I already come in knowing something's wrong. And then a therapist helps me to figure out what to do with that and how to develop the techniques to keep everything back in alignment. 
you know, and it, it just helps with everything because sometimes things get kicked up in yoga because you're sorting through traumas in your body and sometimes people don't know what to do with that. So it's like, if you're doing anything that is, that's really helping with mental health, it's like always, always great to pair that with someone who can help you navigate the situation in your head and know how to get through it and not just constantly be reminded like something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. It's like helps you really move through it more efficiently. You know, I love that idea. I hadn't really thought about it like that because I, so many times I see people bawling their eyes out in yoga mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and I, myself included, there have been so many times where, you know, by the end of it, I have tears in my eyes uh, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not so much a crying of like this sadness or grief, but just a release, just, yeah. a, just an openness and, but not, you know, not always knowing the, the source of it or what's really going on. And then you just kind of walk out of there um, with this. It's almost an intoxicating feeling sometimes when you really uh, open up uh, the, the chakras, uh, you know, as, as some would say. And, uh, and then you don't know what to do with it. Um, but I think that's the power also of, of keeping a journal. Because like you said, there's, there's, there's times in life, whether you're doing yoga or not, it could be in the gym, it could be in a meeting at work with your kids, where things get kicked up. I like that word, kicked up. <laughs> Dust is, is kicked up. And then we don't know what to do. We don't know, do we, do we mop this? Do we sweep this? Is this a, is this a Swiffer situation? Is it, <laughs> do we vacuum this? Like, yeah. how, do we, how do we clean this mess up? What's the best way to get this this blood out the carpet. I don't know why I use blood. I got real dark right there. You know why? Because everybody has been mentioning Dexter lately. And so now I'm just thinking about it's serial killers. And I, I've done everything I can to stay away from uh, like these cop shows or anything that's like uh, grotesquely violent. I just can't handle it right now. Just, with this, I can't do the quarantine and, and, and serial killing right now. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I do love those shows, but right now I'm like, mm, it's too dark. <laughs> yeah, it's too dark. I'm watching cartoons. I watch. I was watching yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas the other day. Like, I need it to be as light and fluffy as possible. E- I need easily digestible. I need. Yeah, to, I need to sleep. Anti comedies, chick flicks. That's that's where I'm landing lately. <laughs> yeah, and I find that I don't know if you've had they call it quarantine dreams. I'm having these dreams now that are making up for the lack of uh, violence I used to consume. <laughs> like my dreams are, are not that they're violent dreams. They're just crazy. And they're super vivid. I, I've, I haven't dreamt like this in, in, a, in quite some time and consistently. Uh, so it's, I, I don't know if, if your dreams have changed during this or if it's, I mean, my, my dreams are, have always been super vivid. Like always it's, this cra- I mean, when I was little, I had a hard time. Sometimes I would think the things I dreamed actually happened and have to sometimes get help sorting that out, which I guess is happening, happens in my adult life too, just in a more real way, you know, but that, so like I'll get these in- intense dreams. And so, you know, that's like me all the time. <laughs> I, I love, you know, I want to tap into that cognitive behavioral aspect of, of the therapy you're undergoing and um, what other thoughts have you had that cognitive behavioral therapy has helped you with? Because the science uh, shows the efficacy of 
CBT with uh, suicidal ideations, people who, who are experiencing that, not that you've expressed that, but uh, because of the nature of the podcast. And so, like, what are some of the other thoughts? Because I know so many people listening in are struggling with uh, feeling hopeless. They're feeling lonely. They feel like a burden. And, and, mm-hmm. and, we, and those are thoughts. And so uh, what are some of the, the thoughts that have been uh, broken apart and, and reframed for you? Oh, man. I mean, the, the, the biggest one that I'm still like working through is the, the, like the worthiness, like I'm not worthy or I don't deserve this, or I am a burden to people, you know, with not having a job and everything. Like I've felt like I'm this like burden that people always have to help. And, you know, I want to help other people. Like I want to be the person helping. I don't really want to be helped, you know? And so I will beat myself up. I beat myself up with those thoughts for really a while. I mean, the last year was really difficult for me for different reasons, things that happened. And it's like, I had to, I would get lost. Like someone would, would do something and I would immediately feel just completely worthless. I'd be defined by what other people would say or how, what they would think or what I would think or imply that they would think, you know, so that like projection of, you know, I imagine that they probably feel this way. And so I'm going to act as though they're saying they're feeling this way, even though they, maybe they're not. So that's really the, the thing that I have to, that I've been working on through it is really being able to separate. Okay. So here's this thought that I'm having, but what's the like reality of it? Like, how can I reframe this in my head to, you know, be, be like in this positive thing or maybe more close to the truth. So it's like really being able to stop myself from when I, and observe when I see like, Oh, well, I bet that they just like hate me because I'm annoying or I'm, you know, a burden. I'm always asking for help. And it's like, okay, well, I, did they tell me this? Did I like hear them say it? Do I have any like really concrete evidence or is this in my head? And so then being able to like say, okay, like here, here are the facts, like here's what's, what actually it is. And then being able to like say, okay, well, if this is something that I need, like there's nothing wrong with asking for that. And it goes back and forth. It can be like, sometimes I'm helping and sometimes I need help and being able to accept that and still be okay with knowing that okay, there's people that care there. I have a lot of people that love me, even when I felt really alone and unsure of what I was going to do. It's like knowing like I've got a family that loves me. I have a boyfriend. I've got people that really care. Even when I want to, you know, turn against them or even when I haven't been my best around them, like people still care and I'm really lucky. And so turning that into that positive has really helped just like a few shifts and, and it's practice. You have to constantly practice it. And I journal a lot and I've recently started getting back to that. And it's really helped me process through even just the fact of writing it out. You can kind of see like, well, this is where, all right, I sound crazy, right? Okay. That's not real. You know, you can actually see it a little bit easier when you like write it all out and get it out of your head. If you let it spin around your head for long enough, like you don't even see you don't even know even how like your thoughts inform your actions and like what you say and so I started catching myself wanting to go back into some old thoughts or some old conversations or whatever or old like uh, insecure feelings and having to stop myself because I'd be like oh I'm just trying to make this about me instead of like allowing someone else to care for me or to like 
be, you know, breathe love into me or let me like just be and be okay with like who I am is really the heart of it. You know, Abby, thank you so much. That was so <laughs> powerful. And, and it was so important for, for listeners to hear that because so many people need help right now. And it's important to remember sometimes you're helping and sometimes you're being helped. Sometimes both are happening at the same time. And it's, it doesn't, um, you know, you're, it, it, doesn't, I, it doesn't identify who you are. It's, it's not a, a, a character flaw that, that what, you, what your job status is or what your relationship status is or, or any of that or what your educational attainment is. I, I just had uh, Robert Angel uh, the founder of Pictionary uh, on the podcast yesterday. And I asked him how he was able to sell the business and then continue to, to grow and thrive and stay interested and engaged in the world after he sold it. Um, uh, in his, I think in his 20s or early 30s, he sold it. And he's in his 60s now. And he said his identity was never attached to the creating of Pictionary. It was never attached to the money he made. It was never attached to the company. It was always attached to the fact that he just wanted to have fun and, and uh, a sense of freedom. And so he identified his values and his character and, uh, and, and rode the wave on, on that. And so uh, I, I, I encourage you to, 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 you know, to realize your value and, and, and the things that in the, your character that, you know, the fact that you've helped people you're still helping people because what you're going through right now is still, I know you have, you know, I see you have a blog on your website. This is the time to, you know, share those uh, experiences, you know, the, the off the mat. I actually, I think that's a great podcast title on and off the mat (laughs) with Abby Lynn. I love that. (laughs) This is the time for you to do that, Abby. I want 10%. I'm just joking, but I'm not joking uh, because this is a quarantine of money stuff. Um, But, uh, but you know, I just I just really want the listeners to understand that you know it's it's okay to help and be helped, and it's and life should be reciprocal. That that's what the, that's the lessons of the rivers. That's the lessons of nature. Uh, as things come, they go, ebb and flow, and uh, and we're all a part of that that process. Abby, I have one last question for you, because yeah. um, I always feel like there's there's one person listening in who is on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Oh, man. I would, I mean, I would just say to remember, remember who you are and remember that like deep spark that you maybe had when you were a kid and where you felt you're like your best and being able to like know that you have something to offer to the world, even though you maybe can't see it right now and that you know, there are people out there that, that care about you and that care about, um, wanting you to be in their life. And I think that it's this gift that we have to really be able to explore the ups and downs and the deep darknesses and, and the, the, into the bright lights, because even the, the darkest moments are usually where we, can grow out of and be able to see like the fullness of, of life. And if, you know, I mean, the, the most powerful thing that I think that can happen is someone coming back from the precipice of death to back into life and choosing like, no, I'm not going to like give in to those thoughts and to those stories and to 
whatever, no matter how real it feels, it's what can come from that once that decision that to turn things around that like it's it is amazing what you can do with your life if you if you let it and it's all still within even though you can't see it and it's I mean I know how like deep and dark sometimes the mind gets like I've I've been I've been there to that place where it just feels like there's like nothing and it's hopeless and it's like that stuff it as real as it feels and as terrible as it is it doesn't have to be that you know there's ways to get out of it and on the other side of it is something so beautiful in a life that you know you can tell that and share that story to help someone else to help you create something that is that the world needs and something that like I tell myself too because sometimes I don't believe that sometimes I don't believe that like I have something to offer but I just keep having to try and then when I can get past that block of that deep darkness is usually where I come to the biggest breakthroughs and something I'm experiencing you know within the most recent like kind of present you know and um you know, that's, that's such a powerful question because it's, it's something that I think that we just forget how powerful we are on the inside. All of us have this like huge potential to do amazing things and we like to forget it. And we want to believe what the world puts in our heads and the despair that we're not really worth it in their eyes. And it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks, you know, that anyway, (laughs) ramble. I love that, Abby. Thank you so much, Abby. Let's yeah. plug all your things. Where can people find you? Um, so I am on Instagram, Abby Lynn Yoga, where I do videos and I like to write. So I'll write out all my emotional thoughts. So usually there's something there for everybody. Um, my website is abbylynyoga.com. And I also also have a podcast. Me and my boyfriend just started like the beginning of quarantine called Mysore Magic. Um, so only about two episodes in, but we're just talking about Ashtanga. So if you're some, someone that's interested in learning about Ashtanga, we just talk our, talk your ear off about it. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. (laughs) Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you so much listeners. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling 1-800-SUICIDE for you going to get therapy for you going to the mat. You have to, it's about your daily practice. What are you practicing? It doesn't have to be yoga. It could be CrossFit. It could be showering. It could be taking a shower and and writing down a a thought of gratitude for the day. It's just about it. It could be walking around the block. It's what is your practice and and ask yourself how you can progress and and have that thing that that you're working on every day. That's tough that you three times a day at the end of your day or in the beginning of your day or, or whatever that that where you can see progress no matter what happens you have this thing to come back to, this thing that you're tethered to so that you don't feel like you're flying too close to the sun. I'm your host, Leo Flowers. Uh, You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Abby. Thank you.